the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> One summer... Ron Davis was leaving on one of his many church mission trips overseas. He's the head coach of the Woodbridge High School football team. And he turned to his assistant coach and tapped him to be in charge while he was out. His assistant coach, Brian, didn't think much of it. It was summer. So that really required as a coach just opening the weight room and being around for the boys as they came and went throughout the day. And at the end of the day, he'd lock up when the last one left and head home. So it wasn't a big task. But what Ron did before he left let him feel the, the weight of the task he'd been given. The week before he left, he met with Brian and prayed for Brian asking that Brian would make right decisions on behalf of the boys in the authority under his charge. He said it made a, a profound impact on him, and in many ways that was quintessential of Ron's approach to life in general, always seeking the Lord and always pointing others to do the same. And lest you think that Ron was one of those coaches that can't do, so he teaches. He was a towering figure in uh, football himself, came from a lineage of football players. His brother went on to play in the NFL. And Ron was an innovative coach, figuring out a spread offense at a time in high school football that was dominated by defense, going to have an undefeated season, gaining the respect of many colleagues, and doing quite well on the basketball field as well. He later earned a spot in the Woodbridge Athletic Hall of Fame. In many ways, I share this, I never knew half of these stats of his. He was a humble man. I only knew him as a fellow board member on a mission agency that we we're a part of. There he coached off the field as well, uh, training many in prayer and intercession and pointing others to come and discover uh, the things that he had found throughout his own life as well. I bring him up today because, in many ways, Trinity Sunday is, is a difficult Sunday. Um, we try to wrap our minds around the Godhead, and just even as my girls asked last night as we were reading this passage and talking about it, one of them said, I don't get it. And I said, that's okay, sweetheart. It is truly a mystery. Um, but what we do get about the Trinity, and what I want to pull forward from Ron's story this morning, is the relationship the relationship and the unity between each person of the Godhead and the relationship that's modeled there that's training us to have such a relationship with God himself. And so it's fitting that um, on this day, as we hold before us this theme of, of training on Trinity Sunday, this theme of relationship, we, we actually turn to the last words of Jesus as we kind of cap out um, the church year almost before moving into this season where we focus on our growth in the likeness of Jesus in ordinary time, as it's called, um, to look at the Great Commission. So this morning, I'd invite you to look at Matthew 28 with me. I just want to look at three verses and three lessons about what that calls us to consider, the ways that we are called uh, to train um, in the Trinity, this relationship that is modeled therein in these three verses together. In verse 18, we read that the disciples are gathered, as Jesus instructed them to do, on the mountain, 
And there, Jesus came to them. Jesus initiates this interaction, just as God has always done, initiating his interaction with his creation that we heard all about in Genesis, read a bit ago. Um, as we saw that God interacts <clears throat> so many times with the created order, and certainly uh, the pinnacle of creation, humanity itself, made in his image and his likeness. And when it lost its likeness of God due to its waywardness, God still interacts. Often we see these mountaintop moments as he meets with Moses imparting the law, even as Jesus on a mountain is transfigured, pointing to even this moment. And so here on a mountain, Jesus gathers with the disciples and initiates this whole interaction. That is a whole sermon unto itself. God is often and always the first mover, seeking us out time and time again. But as he comes to them, Jesus says the first of the final words are, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. All means all. Heaven on earth, seen and unseen, as we'll go through in the creed, the third creed, you, you, you have to bumble around once a year in the Athanasian creed in a bit, things comprehensible that we wrap our minds around and things that are incomprehensible. There's nothing outside of Jesus' authority. All means all. In fact, the word authority there should and unpacks, if you double-clicked it, right, the rule of government, someone whose word must be obeyed at all times universally. Now, this is pretty key because the key of the Christian faith is that Jesus is ruling now. He's ruling now. All authority is his. In fact, that authority was what he was tempted with in the very beginning, as the tempter came, and we see in Matthew 4, right, to say, take that authority, take the shortcut, take it for yourself, and forego all the rest. But Jesus doesn't take the road of tyranny, but looses the bonds of tyranny of sin and death himself by taking it through his life, death, and resurrection, and thus... He reigns and rules and has authority over all things, even right now. Now, all things are not yet as Jesus intended, but in some ways that are quick and in some ways that seem slow to us, all things are being brought out from under the reign of sin and death, of sickness, of grief, of all these things and under the life-giving love of Jesus. I think this is pivotal that we, we grasp that piece before anything else. There's a reason why Jesus begins with that before he points them to any commission, any statement, any doing or action, because it's important that we grasp that what Jesus is doing is to uh, bring all things to their completion. And I think perhaps the first training for us to think about is really reminding ourselves of this theme of authority. It's where we begin and end. And uh, our dear friend Ron often helped me grasp the understanding of this by showing that more often than not, we grasp God's authority through prayer because it brings us under his authority when we pray. And it's there that we often see things that we can't even comprehend. So, for instance, uh, I remember a story that Ron used to tell early on um, in one of his mission 
endeavors that he took was to Rwanda in the 90s, right on the heels of the genocide, um, where <clears throat> they were one of the first few teams that were in country. And all they knew to do was pray. And as they did, they saw miraculous things and reconciling peoples to one another that only the Lord could do. And even the, the land itself, which both literally and figuratively had been ravaged as a result, um, was restored and redeemed because of the prayers um, as they walked throughout that country in many ways, not even knowing what to say. Um, uh, Ron passed away uh, a couple weeks ago, and one bishop said that we'll never know uh, the impacts of some on this side of the veil, um, but he shared about how Ron was on a trip um, where often we'd cler gather clergy under their bishops for training, and on this particular instance, only the bishop showed up. None of the clergy were there. And every night, Ron stayed up um, for only the Lord knows how long, praying for that bishop. And every day, a few more clergy came, and a few more clergy came. Until the end of the week, they were all there. And that bishop was lifted out of a deep uh, depression and despair. And that bishop then would go on to be one of the first that extended to us uh, a hand of fellowship in the West when we needed it more than anything else. You never know what God will do. And we have to remind ourselves time and time again of the authority that Jesus has. We know that, but all authority means all authority in the things that we see and the things that we don't see, that he's already reigning and ruling the whole world. And that's key because as we look to verse 19, we recognize this incredible moment that Jesus then, after saying, of course, that he has all authority, then says, go therefore. What does he do? He gives us that authority as believers. And that's incredible when you think about it. Jesus doesn't say, sit tight, teach them the laws and commands that I've given you, buy your time until I return. Here's the list of things to read, mark, and inwardly digest and hang on until I get back and I make everything right. But instead, Jesus says, you are given the responsibility to go make real my authority to the world. That's pretty weighty stuff. And how do we do that? Well, first, that's why it's conjoined with baptize them, just as you are baptized. You can't do it on your own. As you heard last week, from Father Greg, reminding us on Pentecost, it's because of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you that you do that, not in your own strength. But it's a pretty weighty task to think about that we're given the responsibility to go make real the authority of Jesus in the world. What does that mean, though? Well, that means that first we ourselves come under such authority, and it means probably first and foremost, that we continue to allow his authority, the authority of Jesus, uh, to be applied time and time again to our lives. And what does that look like? I think our prayers sometimes are too small, way too small. What if we asked to love like Jesus loved? What if we asked to forgive like Jesus forgives? What if we asked for greater things than just the most pressing things that we can envision, or even the biggest thing we can envision. Ask bigger. The Spirit of God lives in you by virtue of your baptism and is making new everything else as you cooperate with him. 
we sometimes ask for too little things. If we ask to be like Jesus, which is what the Spirit of God is residing in each of you to do, what would our world look like? We think too small, and we think in worldly ways, and we need to look at that work that begins in us before it can go through us. As Tertullian put in the third century, Christians are made, they're not born. And that's made in us as the Spirit of God not only just resides in you in a nice and tidy way by virtue of your baptism and as we do so liturgically sealing you with oil and all those things, but but that means something. That means that he wants to restore and renew you to the image and likeness, the likeness of which you've lost in the fall um, and in the corruption of our will that is being renewed and redeemed. And so making good on Jesus' authority out in the world comes as we are made new, and then we go out and do the very things that he's taught and commanded. I think we've got to spend some serious time as a church, not just St. Barnabas, but but more globally looking at what that means. Um, Perhaps our biggest wake-up call that we're just beginning to unpack um, on the effect of the church from COVID was that sadly, um, the church and those who proclaimed to follow Jesus didn't act, behave, or look all that different from those who didn't. And so the question is not how do we do better programs? How do we offer more attractional things? How does worship look different? The question is what is being produced in us? And that's the work that we have to sit with And that's the work that we individually have to sit with and that corporately we put at the top of our list time and time again because that is how we go, therefore. As you go, therefore, out into the workplace and to the store, to the mailbox or wherever you may be, we go, therefore, and there people should see Jesus. It's a pretty weighty task. And so we ask for God's grace to do that because we can't do it in our own strength strength. Excuse me. We can't do it on our own. And then Jesus leaves us with this reminder toward that end, and it can come in in big ways and in small. Sometimes, you know, we look at these towering figures, which for me is is this dear friend Ron Davis, but I was reminded of this um, in a simple way by my youngest uh, as we, what was it, last Saturday, um, were at uh, the urgent care clinic getting a a chest x-ray to see what was going on with her, and, and my head was not all there. Um, but she looked at this radiologist and just said, are you a Christian? I was like, <laughs> and she said, why, yes, I am. And Claire said, well, I thought so. I saw your cross. And she was, she was very astute. And this lovely lady from, from Egypt just opened up, and we had what for me was a rather nerdy conversation about the dating of Easter and, and her hopes and dreams and what they're going to do. And I was just reminded sometimes it lands in small ways. And the weight of that as a dad reminded me that I've got to make sure she applies that every day in the midst of everything else that will be tried to be applied to her to remember that that's who she is, full stop, as a follower of Jesus, right? And so we can do it in big ways and small. It doesn't have to always be a monumental task, but we are called to be the very icon of Jesus, if you will, out in the world, and that is the authority we've been given. And finally, in verse 20, Jesus leaves us um, with this reminder, then teach them because you've applied it in your life, because you've been taught, you've been formed, go and instruct them, teach them, enroll them 
in all that I have commanded you. Well, we can't teach what we don't know. We can't give away what we don't have. And then, lest we forget, Jesus begins where he ends. All authority has been given to me, and here he bookends it once more. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. Don't forget, I'm the one who'll do it. You don't have to try to strive or, or make it happen. It should just be a natural outflow toward that end. The point is this, that as we go out and do the very things that Jesus taught and commanded that should just bubble up, whether it's a Ron or a Claire or, or you and wherever you may be, that is what attracts others to want to come to know the faith. Again, I've, I've used this several times. I think it bears repeating. Um, but in the early church, the most reliable means of communicating the attractiveness of the faith to others and enticing them to investigate further the Christian faith was the character bearing and behavior of the early church. The habitus of the individual Christian was crucial. Their habits looked different than the world around them, which was pagan. And so they didn't do the things other people did, um, but they did the things that other people would hope would be done. They, they cared for those that were not cared for, but they didn't attend to the same things that everyone else attended to. It looked different. And in fact, um, they didn't even worry much about worship and what it looked like. In fact, they didn't even invite anyone to worship. What they invited others into is to see the life they lived, and they'd have all these little small group gatherings and little short teachings on your way to work. And from that um, came this desire to want to know what they had. And there began what was often a year or more long process of helping form them in the very life that they'd been formed. They didn't even admit them to baptism until they were convinced their character would conform with the faith they would profess. The point is, the bar was so high on the individual Christian that that was what drew others to come and see. Didn't mean they didn't use words. Didn't mean that they didn't talk about it, lest we jump there. Um, but it did mean that they lived it out in such a way that it was almost irresistible to those who began to watch it play out. And they knew and they believed that Jesus was with them at every step along the way. So as our lives bear witness to that, it becomes a testimony to others. One thing I was always struck by with, with Ron um, is Ron grew up at a very difficult time uh, as, as a big African-American man in the 80s, the first African-American coach in Virginia, uh, head coach at the time. And, and he never had a chip on his shoulder. He, he was just a humble man. He had reconciled with the Lord, and he was disarming in the way that he approached others. He lived the very life that he professed in a way that others just couldn't quite put their finger on what was going on with him, but something was different. And so they should too with us and with those around us that we have under our care, our kids, our grandkids, um, our neighbors, those that we have influence in the lives of because it requires an authenticity and a vulnerability and a transparency to embrace all that the Lord has commanded, coming under His authority, and then allowing others to see what that looks like, warts and all at times, um, when we live that out. doesn't mean we have perfect lives, but it means we're being perfected in the likeness of Jesus uh, as we go throughout this life.
And so this morning, as we think about Trinity Sunday, as we go through all of these movements and, and thoughts, we're reminded that the perfection of the Trinity is in the relationship of the Godhead that we see in these snippets of Scripture. We see in the snippets of those lives that we can think of, and we're reminded first of Jesus' authority over all things, ourselves included, and the reminder that we've got to apply the teachings of Jesus to our own lives and hearts, which happens mainly through the work of the Holy Spirit who we cooperate with towards that end. And that as we do so, there is the winsome witness that the world so desperately needs to see and that we bear witness to both in word and deed. And finally, we're reminded, of course, that as we do all these things, the final words of Jesus, at least in Matthew's gospel, are to be reminded, behold, I'm with you always, always, even to the end of the age. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.